This is CNN Breaking News. Welcome to The Lead. I'm Jake Tapper, and we're beginning with breaking news. Just moments ago, House Democratic leadership announced that the full House of Representatives will vote on Thursday on the process by which they will conduct the impeachment inquiry into President Donald Trump. House Democrats making a move that appears, in part at least, to be aimed at shutting down Republican talking points, complaining about the impeachment inquiry, their complaint that the inquiry is illegitimate because there has not been a formal vote on the House floor. This resolution will address procedures for hearings, the disclosure of deposition transcripts, setting out due process rights for President Trump, and more. A senior Democratic aide telling me that the resolution will be formally introduced tomorrow, Tuesday, and then again voted on the floor on Thursday. CNN's Manu Raji was on Capitol Hill with this breaking news. Uh, uh, Manu, what, what are you learning? What are the details here? Well, this is significant because it signals that the next phase of this impeachment inquiry is about to take shape. That next phase being the open hearings. Now, what this essentially does is essentially set forth the procedures for having these open hearings. Also, all talks about how they would release public transcripts and also notably ensuring that, that this intelligence, the evidence that they have given through the House Intelligence Committee as part of these closed-door depositions, how that can be transferred over from the House Intelligence Committee over to the House Judiciary Committee. And why is that important? Because it's the House Judiciary Committee that will take the first step in determining whether or not President Trump will be impeached. That committee is the one that ultimately will vote on the articles of impeachment. So this sets forth the procedures there. So now I'm told from uh, Democratic sources who were involved in this effort that they believe that this was necessary in order to set forward these procedures because right now there aren't really any clear procedures about how exactly that would work, how exactly the Intelligence Committee, which is leading this inquiry, would give this information over to the House Judiciary Committee, which is a big reason why. But, Jake, a significant move because, as you noted, how White House has resisted at all costs turning over information has been part because they said this has not been a formalized, there's not been a formal vote to authorize this impeachment inquiry. Democrats say they don't need a vote. They say this is not a vote to authorize the inquiry. But essentially, it would have the same effect because the full House is going to vote and most likely there will be enough support to approve this resolution. So the Democrats will argue the White House is on no grounds to stand on in deciding to stonewall their demands for information. But a significant move and a sign that this investigation is moving rapidly. And, Jake, I just talked to Adam Schiff about this resolution. He declined to comment specifically about the resolution. And he said they're moving expeditiously on their probe. And he said he did not want to commit to a specific time frame for a public hearing, but making it very clear, they're very close. Jake. All right, Manu Raju, uh, with the breaking news, thank you uh, so much. Uh, And let's chat about this with our experts here. Uh, Ron Brownstein, you were briefed on this by Speaker Pelosi? There was a uh, a session with columnists, and she did talk to us uh, about this uh, just really an hour ago or so as it it was coming out. And to Manu's point, the Speaker was very insistent that this is not a vote to authorize the impeachment inquiry. They do not believe they need such a vote. They think they have the clear constitutional authority to proceed. What this is, and if you look at her dear colleague letter, six paragraphs in it, the key word in it is affirms. Uh, From the point of view of the Speaker, this affirms the ongoing existing investigation. And as Manu said, it laid out the procedures that they will follow as they move into this next stage. What is interesting that much like Adam Schiff, she would not commit to a time frame. Mm-hmm. Uh, her, the, the clear kind of tenor of our conversation was that this was going to be more focused than sprawling. 
kind of less than more, not necessarily putting every uh, objection they have to the way President Trump has comported himself into it. But she did not commit to a specific time frame about when they will move to this next debt, much less move uh, an impeachment uh, inquiry to the floor itself. Nair, I just have to say, as a journalist, I'm happy about the fact that we're going to have open hearings instead of behind closed Mm -hmm. doors. And we're going to be able to see the transcript depositions. I mean, more sunlight is good for the process, right? Absolutely. And this is a recognition that this is not just going to be a legal proceeding. I mean, the depositions were part of getting everything on the record, but that there has to be a public messaging portion of this to really bring the American people along in impeaching the president of the United States. I think a key part of that is not relitigating Trump's policy. It's not relitigating 2016, but focusing narrowly on uh, the quid pro quo, the abuse of power, rule of law, and making this uh, a an inquiry about uh, the national security of the country and the fitness of this president for the office. Uh, this is also not going to be, though, the moment that everyone's been waiting for of the articles of impeachment Ooh. being no, read no, no. out loud, yeah, right? right? So this still is, this is part of a process. It won't be that emotional satisfaction that I think many on the left are looking for. Uh, and Lonnie, one of the things that's interesting, Speaker Pelosi wrote what's called a Dear Colleague. That's a letter to every member of the House of Representatives. And one of the things it says is, Uh, The Trump administration has made up this argument, apparently out of whole cloth, in order to justify its unprecedented cover-up, withhold key documents from multiple federal agencies, prevent critical witnesses from cooperating, and defy duly authorized subpoenas. She goes on to say, we are taking this step to eliminate any doubt as to whether the Trump administration may withhold documents, et cetera, et cetera. So, and then it concludes, nobody is above the law. This happens at the same day that the uh, deputy national security advisor, former deputy national security advisor, uh, it went to court to find out whether or not he has to uh, give a deposition. Uh, they're trying to get rid of the White House's ability to stonewall. Well, the battle over transparency, I guess, is kind of what you can call this. The challenge is there are always limits to process arguments. I think the Republicans mm-hmm. are seeing now that they have to migrate to the substance. The president himself said, in fact, look, let's talk about the substance. Let's not talk about the process. The challenge is the Republicans are going to have to defend the position mm-hmm. that the quid pro quo is not an impeachable offense. That's ultimately where they always had mm-hmm. to get to. And now that's where the substance is going to go. The challenge is, of course, if the White House continues to not cooperate, that adds another front to the battle that Republicans are going to have to fight on. Not just the substance, but also now adding themselves a process argument they're going to have to push back on. This might actually be, in a way, bad news for Republicans, because I think the process argument was probably easier. It's easier to say this is behind closed doors. Who's Adam Schiff to be, you know, he's, he's, he's not Inspector Javert. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. how come I can't read the transcripts? Let us in, et cetera. That's easy. Mm-hmm. I mean, transparency is good. It might be tougher to make the argument that uh, asking a foreign country to conduct investigations into your political opponents is acceptable. Absolutely. And to be clear, there are also Republicans who sit on these committees who have been overseeing these depositions. So they were always in a position to ask these questions behind closed doors. But I think that this very much does rob the White House and Republicans of this talking point that the process is illegitimate. In some ways, Nancy Pelosi is effectively calling their bluff and saying, you want to focus on the substance of the allegations. Let's have that conversation. Let's bring these witnesses out in the open. Let's bring the transcript of these depositions out for public consumption. Democrats feel confident, I think, based on the former and current career diplomats who have come forward on mm-hmm. Capitol Hill and testified under oath about what they saw as a quid pro quo. And I think for Republicans now, you're probably going to see 
them do what they've been arguing in recent weeks, which is that it didn't rise to the level of a quid pro quo. So I think for them, it's been very challenging because it's difficult to refute what is in the transcript that the White House put out or a summary, I should say, of the president's call with Zelensky, what mm. these officials have said behind closed doors. And we're now going to see that play out before the public. You know, to your point, um, the polling on whether he should be impeached and removed from office is kind of settling around 50 percent right around his approval rating. But when you ask people was, is it appropriate, is it acceptable for a president to ask for this kind of help from a foreign government and to leverage them by withholding American aid, over 60 percent consistently say it's wrong. So if you're if, if the debate moves to the to the substance rather than that is not good terrain for the president, it's not good terrain for, for the Republicans, because a clear and consistent majority of Americans say what he did, what he is believed to have done is wrong. Mayor? It also doesn't help that uh, the process arguments are starting to fail and collapse as transparency happens, because that was going to buy President Trump more time to head this in towards mm -hmm. election season or what we think of as election season in early 2020. And then they could have pushed the argument of let's bring this to a vote to the American public. Um, if you're going to actually move to impeachment trial, it becomes a little bit more difficult to say that this is something that can't be resolved. All right, everyone stick around. We're going to keep talking about this as the House prepares uh, for this full vote on the process for the impeachment inquiry. That's going to be Thursday. More details now on the witness who defied a subpoena today, what that could mean for other witnesses, then the amazing new details about how the U.S. tracked down the head of ISIS to a compound in northern Syria, including using a pair of underwear. And we just got a picture of the hero dog involved in the rail, raid. Rather, We're going to show you that picture of the dog. Everybody wants to see the dog. Stay with us. We're back with the breaking news. The full House of Representatives is set to vote this week on a resolution outlining the process for the impeachment inquiry going forward. This comes as today a former White House official is defying a congressional subpoena to testify in the impeachment inquiry, setting off a new challenge for Democrats attempt to wrap up this current stage of the process within the next few weeks. CNN's Jessica Schneider has the story. A significant no-show on Capitol Hill as Charles Kupperman ignored a congressional subpoena. Witnesses like Dr. Kupperman need to do their duty and show up. Kupperman was Deputy National Security Advisor and John Bolton's number two at the White House. He filed a lawsuit Friday asking a judge to rule whether he had to comply with the House subpoena. Kupperman saying today all parties would want judicial clarity. His attorney argued Kupperman was caught between competing demands from House Democrats and the White House, which has told current and former officials not to testify, arguing the impeachment inquiry is illegitimate. I think we can infer from the White House opposition to Dr. Kupperman's testimony that they believe that his testimony would be incriminating of the president. Democrats are eager to hear from Kupperman, who was listening to that July 25th phone call between President Trump and Ukrainian President Zelensky, where Trump pushed Ukraine to investigate the Bidens. Kupperman's no-show also calls into question whether testimony from other White House officials will move forward. We're going to work with Congress and answer all their questions. Outgoing Energy Secretary Rick Perry is now walking back what he said earlier this month, telling the Associated Press he will not testify before Congress, even though he's been subpoenaed. Now he's calling the inquiry illegal and improper. We have what are called uh, the three amigos. EU Ambassador Gordon Sondland has referenced Perry as one of three officials, along with Kurt Volker, who were in charge of U.S. policy toward Ukraine. 
Perry also now says he asked the president to make the July 25th phone call because it was important for the country's energy needs and had nothing to do with the Bidens. Meanwhile, Vice President Pence is towing the White House line, denying any quid pro quo that predicated military aid or a White House meeting on Ukraine's promise to investigate the 2016 election or the Bidens. What I know is that the transcript of the president's call with President Zelensky shows that there was no quid pro quo. He did nothing wrong. And Democrats today threatened to hold Charles Kupperman in contempt for defying that subpoena. And of course, the question now remains, Jake, will others who are scheduled to testify this week actually refuse? Jake. All right, Jessica Schneider, thanks so much. Uh, let's continue talking. Uh, and Lonnie, take a listen uh, to the chairman of the House Intelligence Committee, Adam Schiff, talking about uh, the fact that Kupperman refused to testify. I think we can infer from the White House opposition to Dr. Kupperman's testimony that they believe that his testimony would be incriminating of the president. Is that fair, do you think? No, I don't think it's that simple. I think it's part of a broader challenge the White House has here, which is how do they continue to say this whole thing is illegitimate? There are sort of legal grounds to keep privilege intact on all these other issues if we allow various officials to testify. I think it's entirely consistent for them to say, look, no one ought to testify. The challenge is it does give the Democrats an upper hand politically, potentially, to say, look, we're not getting cooperation. And the reason why is because the president's guilty of something. It's easy for the Democrats to prosecute that argument, even though the merit of that argument, in my mind, is a little bit, uh, uh, you know, it's probably less valid. And Sabrina, it was kind of interesting because there was like almost like this defiance. There were a number of former and even current uh, government officials uh, who just ignored the White House uh, telling them not to participate. You had Fiona Hill, who mm -hmm. used to be on the National Security Council, uh, the current top diplomat in Ukraine, uh, Bill Taylor, and others who were actually answering questions. And that is what has made this wholly different from the Russia investigation, where a lot of the witnesses who were subpoenaed in the aftermath of the Mueller report by congressional Democrats were part of the president's inner circle. They were members of the former members of the campaign or of the White House. And so they defied those subpoenas, whereas this time you have current and former administration officials who also are highly respected in their respective departments and agencies in which they have served, who've been very forthcoming to members of Congress. And so I think as Democrats look for a so-called star witness as they enter this next public phase of this inquiry, they have someone like Bill Taylor, the acting ambassador to Ukraine and his predecessor, Marie Yovanovitch, both of whom have been very explicit about, explicit about what they saw as a pressure campaign against the Ukrainian government to investigate the president's political rival, as well as all the text messages that kind of reaffirm that narrative that congressional Democrats are building. And that's what's really going to change this uh, proceeding into one about defending rule of law, because these are people who served under this president of the United States, but still felt compelled to come out and speak on behalf of the American public and national interest and do really what the, what the, the job is, which is allow Congress to conduct oversight over the executive branch. Uh, this It's going to be the challenge of the Trump loyalists who are loyal to a person, the president, Ooh versus uh, loyalty to the Constitution and the presidency. And it's worth noting that today when we met with the speaker, she reaffirmed what we've heard from Adam Schiff and others, reminding everyone that the refusal to respond to an honor congressional subpoenas was one of the articles of impeachment against Richard Nixon back in 1974. And they seem much more inclined to go down that road than toward a lengthy court struggle 
to, you know, kind of litigate this issue that that uh, uh, that the uh, that these witnesses are raising. Yeah, uh, because, you know, even if you have a district court, a, a decision in favor of the House, likely that would go to the appellate court. And ultimately, many of these issues would go to the Supreme Court. And I don't think they want to wait around quite that long. And, and quickly, Lonnie, you, you know, uh, John Bolton, I believe, right? You served mm-hmm. with him at the, in the Bush administration. What is he going to do? I mean, here's his Ooh. here's his deputy, Kupperman, uh, refusing to comply. Uh, and yet, you know, Bolton em- emerges in a lot of the narrative as something of a hero yeah. of it, objecting to what was being done with Ukraine. What, what do you think? I-, I haven't spoken to him, but I would imagine that he would want to set the record straight, you know, that there's a part of him that wants to do that, certainly, and that he wants it to be clear what his role was or was not. But his testimony is going to be very closely watched. This also comes in the context of him wanting to tell his own story about the time in the Trump administration. So we'll have to see. All right, everyone stick around. We've got more to talk about breaking new details about the Baghdadi raid and how intelligence tracked the ISIS leader. Plus, we're getting our first look at that hero dog. Look at that. What a good boy. Stay with us. Breaking news in our world lead. Uh, CNN is learning that a piece of Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi's underwear and a blood sample were used to help identify the elusive and barbaric ISIS leader prior to Saturday's deadly raid and afterwards. This comes as Moments ago, President Trump tweeted out a photo of the hero dog involved in the operation, though the dog's name remains classified. CNN's Barbara Starr is at the Pentagon. And Barbara, first of all, obviously such a good boy. But beyond that, um, tell us more about using the blood sample and the underwear and how that was used to track down and identify Baghdadi. Well, well, the Syrian Democratic Forces, the Kurdish allies that the U.S. had in Syria, say they had an informant inside ISIS who led them to where Baghdadi had been. They were able to obtain a piece of his underwear, use a blood sample, all of this to establish a DNA identity before him, before they went on the raid. All of this as we learn additional new details today about how the raid unfolded. U.S. aircraft using bombs, missiles, and rockets to destroy Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi's compound. After special forces used the cover of darkness, eight helicopters carrying as many as 100 U.S. Special Operations Forces landed at a compound in northern Syria. They entered after blowing holes on the side of the building, believing the front door might be booby-trapped. The president said the special ops teams were met by local gunfire on the ground that was quickly squashed. At least two ISIS fighters were captured. According to the president, Baghdadi was chased into a tunnel by military dogs while bringing three children with him. The tunnel came to a dead end where he eventually detonated a suicide vest that killed him and the children. He's dead. He's dead as a doornail. Baghdadi's remains were disposed of at sea by a U.S. military aircraft, according to two defense officials. But the world may be about to see even more of what happened during the two hours U.S. commandos were on the ground. We do have video, photos. We're not prepared at this time to release those. Uh, They're going through a declassification process. The president painted a picture that the ISIS leader was weak. He died a coward. Crying, whimpering, screaming. and Iraqi officials say two months ago, they captured one of Baghdadi's closest collaborators. He is said to have provided information about one of the couriers that Baghdadi used. That courier was killed, but documents led to his wife, who then led them to more paperwork with Baghdadi's location. 
al-Baghdadi, who'd been on the run for more than five years, was eventually tracked down with the help of intelligence from the Kurds. The withdrawal of U.S. forces from Syria had a major impact on the operation, according to one U.S. official. U.S. troops now are moving back into Syria's oil fields to keep ISIS from coming back and selling oil to finance its operations. But for the first time, a specific nod from the defense secretary that U.S. troops could find themselves defending against other military forces. Does that include denying access, preventing Russian or Syrian forces, which now have changed the battle space? So the, the short answer is yes, it presently does. Okay, so let's go back to this. Here's a picture, again, of the dog that the president said went on the raid with Delta Force commandos. They are not yet releasing the name of the dog. We can see his face or her face, but the dog's name under Delta Force rules remains classified. The dog apparently taking off any nameplate, any identifying marks of his or her identity. The dog, we are told, suffered some electrocution injuries, but is recovering. And look, military working dogs, the U.S. military can't conduct its operations these days without them. They are vital partners on the battlefield. But even this dog, its mission was to bring justice to the families of so many hundreds, if not thousands of people that suffered at the hands of Baghdadi's ISIS. Jake. All right, Barbara Starr from the Pentagon. Thank you uh, so much. Uh, Let's bring in uh, Michael Leiter and Seth Fransman to talk more about this. Michael Leiter, you ran the National Counterterrorism Center under both President George W. Bush and President Obama. Uh, Trump, the president, gave a lot of details uh, when he spoke uh, on Sunday, uh, talking about the, the death of Baghdadi, describing the compound, the tunnels, a bit of the flight path, uh, the confrontation with Baghdadi. Now, look, I'm a journalist. I love as much information as <laughs> in detail as possible. But as a uh, former counterterrorism official, were you curious were you were you grimacing at all were you worried about he was giving yeah, too much yeah, i mean he made me cringe in a couple of moments so all the detail is great it's wonderful for tv it's a wonderful show but there really is that risk of disclosing too much and i'm not quite sure the president has a finely tuned ear for what is sensitive and what's not sensitive because we're going to have to do this again whether it's in syria or other places in the world and the tactics techniques and procedures are ones that will have to be repeated so we really have to protect that in fairness to the president we had the same problem after the mission to kill Osama bin Laden. There was a significant amount of criticism that too much information was released. The more information we release, the harder it is next time, the more vulnerable our people are to being hurt. Oh, yeah. I got a lot of information. It just wasn't by the president in front of a press conference, but there was a lot of information. That came Absolutely. Out. Explain to me about this, uh, this part about a Kurdish informant getting part of Baghdadi's underwear. How would that be even used? Well, uh, that is probably used to get the DNA sample. So as soon as you have that blood or body part, if there's any residue from the individual, then you use that to get the DNA sample. And then that DNA later on could be used to verify the identity as it was reported was used in this situation. So only after the death to verify, but not necessarily ahead of time. That's right. But it can also be used in other ways, because if you know DNA, then you can also test other people to understand familial relationships. Oh, okay. And that can also be used for sources and other efforts to get closer that individual. Seth, let me bring you in. You've covered ISIS extensively. You're out with a new book. It's called After ISIS, America, Iran, and the Struggle uh, for the Middle East. Uh, First of all, I mean, obviously, big credit to the special operators, the intelligence operatives, uh, and the Secretary of Defense and President Trump for this operation being such a success. Put into perspective how big a blow the death of al-Baghdadi is and 
the death of his potential successor? Look, I mean, I think symbolically it's very, very important that he's been killed. It's like the Bin Laden raid. We, we know that there's something like 14,000 ISIS fighters at large. So there's certainly a lot of ISIS people out there. And that means that in Iraq and Syria, even if they're not swearing allegiance to Baghdadi or a successor or the next guy, they're still going to be there, just like al-Qaeda in Iraq became ISIS years ago. So the problem and the threat is still there. I was in Iraq just last month. And we peered through binoculars with the Kurdish Peshmerga, and we could see two or three ISIS guys in a cave down there between the Peshmerga and Iraqi lines. So these guys are out there, and they're plotting attacks. And I think the overall kind of cliched root causes has not been solved. And, and uh, Michael, you were uh, critical of President Trump for the withdrawal uh, of U.S. troops from, from northern Syria um, and what the Kurds considered to be a stab in the back of a trail. Do you think that they are not getting enough credit for whatever help they might have provided on, on this mission, the Kurds? Well, they were mentioned in the same breath as Syria and Russia, and I don't think they should be. Unlike those two countries, the Kurds are our allies, have been our allies, and yes, their intelligence was critical here. And what is most important is going forward, their intelligence will remain critical, but we are no longer in a position to collect that because of the movement out of Syria by both U.S. troops and the Turkish incursion into northeast Syria. So I think they deserve more credit and they deserve more loyalty going forward because we need them to be our ongoing allies. And Seth Baghdadi was holed up in northwestern Syria, an area that's known really more as an al-Qaeda stronghold, al-Qaeda and ISIS not necessarily cooperative. Did his location surprise you at all? And what do you read into it? Yeah, I think the location is very, very problematic. It's just a few minutes or so from the Turkish border. It's an area that they're smuggling. It seems, according to reports, that some of uh, Baghdadi's relatives have been smuggled through Turkey to get to him. We know that large numbers of ISIS members not only came through Turkey, but then fled back to Turkey after Raqqa was uh, destroyed in 2017. So I think there's a lot of question marks about why Baghdadi was found so close to Turkey. What did Turkey know? If Turkey claims that it needs to go into Syria to create a safe zone, for instance, where the Kurds are, how come Turkey wasn't raiding this house? How come Turkey wasn't the one that had actually found him? I think that laid, raises a lot of question marks. And it also means, what was Baghdadi doing there in Idlib? Was he trying to recruit more people? What was his agenda? All right, Seth and Michael, thanks so much for your time and your expertise. For President Trump, it was all about the gruesome details as he takes a victory lap for the death of ISIS's leader. But his statement is raising questions. Stay with us. Politics lead now. President Trump today taking something of a victory lap after giving the green light to the successful U.S. Special Forces raid that led to the death of the head of ISIS. CNN's Caitlin Collins now reports from the White House. It was a tremendous weekend. After a successful nighttime raid took out the brutal leader of the Islamic State, President Trump took a victory lap today. I want al-Baghdadi. Get him. And they got him. Trump touted the death of one of the most wanted men in the world, one day after going into graphic detail about the operation. He died after running into a dead-end tunnel, whimpering and crying and screaming all the way. The president told reporters watching the raid was like seeing a movie, but there were questions about how a surveillance feed could show what was happening in an underground tunnel. Today, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff couldn't confirm the president's details. But I, I don't know what the source of that was there, but I assume it was talking directly to unit and unit members. 
Typically, presidents have informed congressional leaders when moments like these happen. And while he has no obligation to do so, the president defended keeping Adam Schiff and Nancy Pelosi in the dark. And the answer is because I think Adam Schiff is the biggest leaker in Washington. Trump's made-for-TV moment came as he was facing intense criticism from his own party over his decision to largely withdraw U.S. troops from Syria. It's a decision Secretary of State Mike Pompeo said won't affect intelligence gathering that helped make raids like this one possible. We'll still have the information, the intelligence that we need so that we can continue to undertake this absolutely vital mission for American national security. One day after one of the most significant foreign policy victories of his presidency, Trump received this welcome during a rare night out in Washington. His aides brushed off the chorus of booze today. It's a pretty liberal town, but the president's a big baseball fan. Now, Jake, on another front, the White House is now responding to that news from Democrats. So they are going to be holding those votes on an impeachment inquiry with a statement from the press secretary just now. Stephanie Grisham says they won't be able to fully comment until they've actually seen the text of what's going to be in that resolution that our Hill reporters were laying out earlier. But she said, quote, Speaker Pelosi is finally admitting what the rest of America already knew, that Democrats were conducting an unauthorized impeachment proceeding, refusing to give the president due process and their secret shady closure door depositions are completely and irreversibly illegitimate. Now, Jake, what that statement doesn't say is how this is going to change the White House's strategy, their approach to this, if the Democrats do move forward with that vote. All right, Caitlin Collins uh, from the White House, thank you so much. I want to bring in Republican Congressman uh, Will Hurd. He's on the House Intelligence Committee. He was once a CIA officer. Congressman, always good to see you. Um, first of all, I want to get your reaction to the announcement uh, from Speaker Pelosi uh, that Democrats Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.